0: Hello everyone, welcome to Be The Gift Connections. I'm Don Benjamin with Tennessee Donor Services. Every year in November, faith communities around the country observe National Donor Sabbath weekend. It's a time to ro- provide information about organ and tissue donation as well as encourage people to register as donors. Did you know that all major religions support donation as an act of love and generosity? Tonight, we'll see how one's faith and beliefs can influence their decision to be a donor. To begin our program, we have an extraordinary story of the gift of life and faith. Tiki Finlayson is a pastor in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Her son, Kevin Yates, was killed by a drunk driver in 2011. Kevin was an organ donor. Melvin Ellis is a pastor in Batesville, Mississippi. Melvin is Kevin's heart recipient. It's so good to have you both join us. Start with uh, Tiki. Um, tell us about your Kevin.
1: Oh wow, that could take us all day. <laughs> um, Kevin was the most amazing person. He was very kind and compassionate. Um, he was 25, six foot five, towered over me. Um, the thing I miss most about Kevin were his tall hugs. He loved to come up behind me and put his chin up on top of my head and wrap his arms around me in and, and that little deep, gruff voice that he had. He'd say, mama. He didn't care who was around. He didn't care who was watching. Um, he always let me know that he loved me. Um, <clears throat> he was never married, um, never had any kids, um, but... He, he lived life to the fullest uh, up to the day he passed, um, and he just was an all-around amazing person, loved Batman from the time he was little, um, and an avid gamer, everyone's best friend. He was always, uh, you know, there for everyone that was going through something, trying to get them to see the, the lighter side of what was uh, going on in their life, and Just an amazing, amazing person and would fill a room. (laughs)
0: Tiki, tell me what happened to Kevin in July of 2011.
1: Uh, July of 2011, uh, he had been tubing with his new girlfriend out on the lake and uh, had an amazing day. Later that evening, he had to be at work at five o'clock. And um, after work that day, he was on his way home. 1 30 in the morning and about three miles down the road was uh, hit by a drunk driver
0: so you're a pastor but you're not superhuman
1: can you share with us
0: some of the emotions you went through as you waited in the hospital
1: absolutely um you know like you said i'm not superhuman um and in the beginning uh we heard there was a fatality on the scene we didn't realize they were talking about Kevin because he actually died three times on the way to the hospital uh, and they revived him. Um, We thought the fatality was the other person. We didn't even know at the time that uh, it was a drunk driver. And so immediately I was, you know, so moved toward the other person's family. Cause I thought, well, they've lost someone and Kevin's still here. We're going to pray and believe for his healing. And then later found out that it was the drunk driver. And, um, I mean, it was just all, all of these thoughts start running through your head. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, we all gathered in a room to pray after we'd been given this, um, uh, information. And um, it, it, I can promise you <laughs> it must have been God that was speaking it through me because it totally wasn't my first thought. Because when we started to pray, we gathered hands and uh, I heard myself say, God, I forgive her for what she's done to our family. I do not even know her name. And um, when I said it, I, I surprised myself. And I was like, did I really say that out loud? Because it wasn't what I was feeling. I wanted to go find her in the hospital and do something that would have, you know, totally not been okay. Um, Because, I mean, that was my baby laying in there fighting for his life. And uh, so um, I realized that, in fact, I did say it out loud because of the reaction of some of the people in the room. Uh, And I was like, you know what? My prayers have got to hit heaven so I have to forgive. I have to do this the way I need to do it to do what you need. and uh, you know from there I was like you know God I said I forgive. I, I don't even know how to, how to do this. I don't know how to walk through this and uh, and he definitely has uh, he has walked me through the process of uh, to the point now, it took several several months before i felt a difference when i would say i forgive her mm-hmm. and um, one day i was telling somebody about my story and what happened to kevin and uh and i said i chose to forgive the one that responds one, and all of a sudden i felt something different and i was like praise god mm-hmm. <laughs> it's only working mm-hmm. i'm feeling something different and so you know, it took several, several months before I could truly say those words and completely feel that I had forgiven this woman for killing Kevin. Um, to the point today that we we go and speak together, and we um, we're we're like family. God's given me a love for her like my daughter, mm-hmm. uh, even though she killed my son. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's the most amazing thing because forgiveness truly isn't for the other person. It's for you. Uh, and forgiveness has truly set me free, um, from that uh, prison that I would have locked myself in.
0: Did you wrestle with letting Kevin be an organ donor?
1: Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, we had actually had a conversation a couple years prior. Kevin had had a friend that was a, a donor and, um, came to me after the funeral and told me, you know, how cool he thought his friend was, that he's like a superhero because he saved lives. And and so, um, you know, it was just a really short conversation and he said, Mom, if anything ever happens to me, I want to be an organ donor. And this was two years before. And, uh, you know, I told Kevin how proud I was that he made that choice and we just went on to a different conversation. And um, so when this happened, uh, I knew he wanted to be an organ donor, but when we were presented with it in the hospital, it was at the same time that the doctor said Kevin was pronounced brain dead. And so I was like, I don't even want to talk about that right now. You do what you got to do to take care of Kevin. I'm trusting God. I'm not saying we're done yet. And, um, so I wrestled with it for, um, for probably a good eight, nine hours, uh, before, well, it was about seven hours, uh, before I was, I knew that, um, uh, Kevin was gone. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, going into that, cause Kevin had never, checked yes on his driver's license he had never gone online and chose what he wanted to donate none of that and so we um, you know went through that process of choosing what all uh, to donate and um, i'm very very thankful that we did uh, because it's been such a blessing uh, on the other side of it
0: right well we want to bring melvin in now Melvin, tell us about when you first became sick and what was the diagnosis?
2: When I first came sick, I was working at Federal Express. And one night uh, as I was delivering packages, I thought I had a heart attack. I blinked out twice. And the last time I blinked out, I woke up on an active runway because I was at the airport crossing runways. And I got myself back together and I called my wife and I told her, you need to come get me something that happened to me. And she said, what? I said, I think I've had a heart attack. And I was only about three miles from home. She said, well, can you drive home? I said, no, I'm too scared to drive home. Mm-hmm. She came and got me. We went to the hospital and they, there. they ran tests on me and everything. And a couple hours later, they came back and they said, Mr. Ellis, um, you didn't have a heart attack, but there's something on your EKG and all other things we just didn't like. We don't like what we're seeing. And we have an ambulance waiting for you. We can send you on to the heart uh, hospital, which is St. Francis in Memphis, Tennessee. And I looked at my wife. I said, well, okay, I'm here. So let's go. They transported me to a different hospital, which I was still feeling fine. And they ran tests. And about seven days later, they came back with this word. If I say it right, cardiomyopathy, theop, dilated. And I looked at him. I said, what do that mean? He said, basically the left side of your heart muscles have died. There's no oxygen going to your heart. That's why your body is suffering from air. And um, he said, well, what we're going to do right now, we're going to look at fixing that. We're going to start you on medication and try to open the valve back up in your heart and the veins up so that oxygen start back flowing through your heart. And that went on, but as they were giving me medication, the medication never did work. My heart condition kept going down further and further, lower and lower and lower.
0: Can you describe how sick you were before the transplant?
2: Um, yes, I was real sick. Um, I had a yard, and I used to mow my yard back and front in 35 minutes. And when I realized that I was getting too sick, one day it taken me almost four hours to push my front yard. And had gotten so um, I couldn't walk no more in about 30, 40 feet without being out of breath. And but I still kept doing everything of my daily function, suffering for air. And the doctor finally came back and said, Mr. Ellis, um, your body is suffering. And only thing I can tell you is sudden death.
0: Mm. Had you ever thought about organ donation prior to your situation?
2: No, ma'am. It had never, never crossed my mind. Uh, I know my sister had been an organ donor, but it had never crossed my mind.
0: Mm-hmm. How did your faith s- sustain you while you were waiting? Did you have doubts?
2: No, ma'am. Um, I pastor church and, and, and I've been through so much with God. I tell people, good Lord called me to preach at 19 and I basically just walked away from him. But and in the midst of that, I knew my faith had to be strong for my wife and for my church. And I used to tell them what I'm going through is not for me. It's for you all to let you show you all that if you keep the faith in God, God going to do what he's saying. I just tell the Lord all the time, um, I've been through too much with you. If you'd have come back into my life 20, 30 years ago, I wouldn't have had a chance to make it in heaven. I've changed my life around. I said, Lord, whatever you say, I'm standing with you.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, Melvin, we want to bring Tiki back in and um, talk about um, how you met. Um, I don't know who wants to
1: start. Uh, (laughs) Tiki, you want to start? Well, one of the things that, uh, that, you know, we talked about when we went through the process of choosing what to donate of Kevin's was that we wanted to meet the recipients. And if I could have met Melon that day, I would have, <laughs> um, because I just, I wanted to know everything about, you know, who was carrying Kevin. <laughs> yes. And, um, and I think Melvin, he felt the same way too. Um, but uh, the letter that he wrote, I'll let you tell about uh, you writing your letter, but uh, go ahead and you tell that and then I'll tell when I got
2: it. Okay, okay. Uh, like you said, when, when I signed up to be a um, donor, uh, there was no question we wanted to meet the family. That, that's something that we didn't even pardon over. I said, Lord, if you allow me to become a recipient, I want to meet the family. And after I received a heart, got the transplant in August, um, they told us actually to wait a year before we contact the family. But at the end of December, in December, my spirit just started nudging. I said, I told my sister, I want to write a letter now. I wanna send this, I wanna meet the family. So uh end of December, beginning of January, we sat down, me and my sister and I talked and she she was writing. And I sent the letter off about the middle of January and In the middle of January, February came around, I didn't hear anything. I got a letter back and it will respond Mm -hmm. from the donor service letting me know that everything had been processed and sending miss Finlayson, which I didn't know who she was at the time then. And um, I got a return letter back and letting me know that she was ready. She wanted to meet me and I wanted to meet her. And I was just overwhelmed and just happy that I would get a chance to meet the family of their young man heart that I had received.
1: Mm-hmm. Now take so, out. so he mailed in January.
2: Okay.
1: And, um, Kevin's birthday is April the 2nd. And we had, that was the first day we were first birthday that we were, you know, doing something without Kevin. And so we, we had a full day of activity that day. And, um, we had, uh, been away from the house. We come back, and I checked the mail and there was a whole stack of mail. And my husband just kind of thumbed through it. And he was like, oh, here's something from Donate Life. And I was thinking, oh, it's a birthday card, you know, because Kevin's birthday. <laughs> and and so I didn't open it right away. And so me and my husband and my older son, we were sitting around the table and we were uh, getting ready for some uh, other activity for the day. And so I just I thought, like, well, I'll go ahead and open it. So I opened it. And it was Melvin's letter. And I was like, ah! <laughs> and I started crying and Tom and, and Derek, they're like, what's wrong? I was like, don't know, that! Come on! And so like, wait, calm down! <laughs> and, so, uh, and so finally, I was like, this is from Kevin's heart recipient. Oh, my gosh, on his birthday. I was so excited. And it was the best gift I could have ever, ever gotten. Uh, on Kevin's birthday and so um, immediately that evening uh, I wrote a letter back um, to Melvin and got it sent off and I was like you know whenever you want to meet wherever you want to meet let's do it mm-hmm. and, um, and so 11 months later uh, we got to meet
0: um, and teacher, I-, I want you to tell about I know that you went to Melvin's church but tell us about the surprise that you got the the congregation I'm sorry with the congregation how they were
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes um the surprise that I got um what was on Sunday the next day uh Melvin's church had these shirts made that had on the front had the a little Batman with a heart inside the Batman that has Melvin's name on it and then the back says um uh, our our hero, um, Kevin Sunshine. And I mean, that was just the coolest thing because the whole church was wearing these shirts. And um, so I walked into a sea of Batman when I got there and uh, it was just the sweetest um, gesture uh, for them to do that. Um, but we had an amazing, amazing meeting. Um, and I it, it's something that I will never, ever, ever, ever forget. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a very... Uh, precious treasure
0: uh, for me so i want to ask you both melvin i'll start with you why do you think it's important for people in our faith communities to become organ and tissue donors
2: well because um you know well I, i take this scripture that christ said he said that we will be able to do greater works than he which you know christ is our savior and we can reach more, we'll be able to reach more people in our everyday life and becoming donors. And you know, we have had this this concept and precept about, I'm gonna take it with me and I'm not gonna, but that, that's the wrong thing because you can be a saver to someone, you can help someone. And, and I look at being an organ donor as Kevin became, because after I received my heart and my church started looking, they start signing up being organ donors because you can be able to bless someone with an extended life by the grace of God.
0: Mm-hmm. Tiki, why do you think it's important?
1: Uh, I think it's important on the donor family side, because had Kevin not been an organ donor for me, that would have just been the end other than mm-hmm. my future. But for here, um, It is such a blessing to get to watch Melvin live life, to get him to get to see him with his grandbabies that he would have never got to meet Amen. had it not been for Kevin being a donor. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like Kevin's living life through Melvin and getting to experience things that he didn't get to experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, It's just it's just the sweetest blessing uh, to be able to have that on the other side of a loved one passing. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Well, Tiki and Melvin, thank you so much for talking with us and relating how faith played a role in each of your experiences. I've known both of you for years, Mm -hmm. and it's always an honor to work with you to help spread awareness about the importance of the gift of life.
1: Thank you for having us.
2: Thank you. And Tiki, tell her the family name that we have now before we get off.
1: Oh, yeah. We, we have a new family name. We took all of our names and smushed them together. So we are now the Fenye Tellesons. Love it. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to be talking with a hospital chaplain about ministering to donor families in their time of loss. Stay with us. Reverend Leticia Judkins Davis serves as lead chaplain of Parkridge Health System here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. She's set to receive her Master of Divinity degree from Morehouse School of Religion in May of next year. Leticia, welcome to the program.
4: Thank you, Don. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Let's just start by first um, talking about what the role of a hospital chaplain is.
4: Okay. well, one of our focus here at the hospital is to treat the whole person. So that means the body, the mind and the spirit. So the role of the chaplain is to support the spiritual side of the person. So what we do and what we're trying to do is to walk alongside individuals, no matter what their faith tradition is, um, to support them right where there are to be presence, to be a listening ear, whatever um, they need. That's what uh, chaplains do as far as the spiritual side of the person. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, National Donor Sabbath is for all major religions to participate in. And -hmm. I know that you work uh, with people of all faiths in the hospital Mm -hmm. setting. What Mm -hmm. commonalities do you see among the different belief systems?
4: Well, what commonalities I have found, um, because being in the hospital, let's be honest, can be scary. And whenever you're facing death or sickness, um, what I have found, no matter what a a person's faith tradition is, is that we all reach for our faith, for strength, for peace, for hope, for encouragement. So that's what I found that everyone reach for um, when we're facing situations like this, when we're in the hospital.
0: Now, you've been there with families when their loved one has passed away and then proceeded Mm -hmm. to be a donor. What type of support were they looking for from you?
4: Mm -hmm. And when I... um walked into sacred spaces, because that's what I, what I call it, is when we walk into that space with the family, when their loved one is about to transition, we, um, the family pretty much kind of tells you or shows you what they need. Sometimes they just need a listening ear. They need presence. Uh, They may need prayer. Sometimes scripture is read. Sometimes there's just questions um, about what happens after we transition. So there are just like a number of things that may come up, but the family normally um, shows us or tells us what they need during that time.
0: Now for families who are considering giving consent for their loved one to be a donor, what are some of the things uh, that
4: you discuss? OK, well, some of the things that I found uh, that comes up, questions that comes up and, and questions that I may ask the family is if their loved one ever talked about what their views were, like if they didn't make it known um, before something happened, I would ask the family if they ever talked about being a donor. Mm-hmm. Um, we were also talk about different myths that may come up sometimes that families may have heard and they want to know but what does their faith says about giving um, organ donations. And what I found, the majority of um, faith traditions, they do support Mm -hmm. organ donations. So and we talk about different things like that. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, how do you see the option of organ and tissue donation actually helping a grieving family?
4: I think for me, and I have put it like this before, that giving of deciding to Give of your loved one's organs or of your own, it's like the last act of kindness or the last act of love that you can do as an individual or a family for someone else.
0: Well, Leticia, thank you for the work that you do in the hospitals mm-hmm. every day. And I want to thank you for sharing um, how you offer that emotional and spiritual support for families mm-hmm. facing the death of a loved one and the donation decision. It's been a pleasure talking
4: with you. Yes, thank you so much, Don, for having me.
0: After the break, we'll be talking with a Methodist minister who has observed National Donor Sabbath in the churches he served in for many years. Back in a moment.
3: Before I got my transplant I was very sick.
4: Brendan was born with a metabolic disease called methylmalonic acidemia or MMA and we knew since he was little that he was going to need a kidney transplant eventually. It doesn't cure MMA but it's a treatment for MMA and it would protect the kidney. I am extremely grateful to Brendan's donor because now he gets to live the life that he deserves to live. Because my transplant I could do everything that I want to do
0: Welcome back. Reverend David Fugit. now joins us. He received his Master of Divinity from Louisville Seminary. As an ordained United Methodist minister, he currently serves two small churches in Smith County, Virginia. David, thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: I might mention David is originally from Chattanooga. Yes. Uh, So we're glad to have you. We want to spend some time looking at reasons why people in our faith communities may be reluctant to be an organ and tissue donor. And I had mentioned before the break that you have observed National Donor Sabbath for several years in the churches that you've served. Why do you feel that it's important to talk about organ and tissue donation in the church?
3: Well, there are two reasons, Dawn. I think, first of all, I think it's, I think it's important. That, I think it's too many people have never thought about how donation is one way. For us as Christians to fulfill our commandment to love our neighbor, mm-hmm. they don't see it. They don't necessarily see it that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I've always tried to focus on: is that if we can give something to our neighbor that we're no longer using, but is still worthy and still valuable to them, what what better way to show we love them? Right. And the second thing is disinformation. I mean, you know, the same thing that plagues us today has plagued us forever about this that there's some reason we shouldn't do that because of different, different misinterpretations of what scripture may say about it Mm -hmm. or well, my church doesn't support that, which isn't Mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's very, I think it's coming from the pulpit. I think it's very important that our church members hear the value of organ donation Mm -hmm. and the value as followers of Jesus Jesus told us to love our neighbor, and what better way to do that?
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm interested um, to hear from you, maybe some of the reactions that you've gotten over the years from your congregants.
3: <clears throat> Mostly positive. I think it's interesting. I've had several sign up
0: mm-hmm.
3: that day. I mean,
0: that, that's great.
3: My I sister is works for Touchy Services. She's come sure. and spoken before, mm-hmm. and. They've been really responsive to her. And we've tag teamed the, the, the presentation so that she says the tissue donor Services part and I say the, I guess, the religious part or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's been very positive. As a matter of fact, I have a church member who received a heart. Oh, that's a wonderful. People. That's wonderful. Who received a heart. And others have, again, I've had several people sign up or say, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I've not gotten, I have not now, that doesn't mean there has been people who have, who have been negative. They've just not presented that to me. Right, right. I've not heard them say, why would you why would he do? I've never heard that. So, but mm-hmm. my all my experience has been very positive.
0: That's good. So we want to take a look at some of those concerns that maybe some Christians have. And I would like for you to share what you see in scripture that provides us with some guidance. So, number one. Is it moral?
3: Yes, as I mentioned in my in the first part, I believe that Jesus taught us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Mm-hmm. And what better way to love our na- others than to donate so that they may have life?
0: Another question that I've heard people ask, or they're concerned, is that does that person deserve it? Is the recipient worthy? Maybe their concern is that the right person might not get it.
3: I think that's one of those I think that goes back to Jesus defined our neighbor as anyone who shares our world so I am not about to judge the worthiness of anyone else when I probably wouldn't live up to my own standards mm-hmm. I think just I think to make any sort of judgment about whether someone deserves anything particularly people of faith who believe we have been given grace freely I think is it, it smacks in the face of all that scripture teaches.
0: Mm-hmm. It's kind of contradictory. Very contradictory. Okay, what are some of Christ's teachings that can be applied to the subject of donation?
3: You know I thought about this question and I was like, all of them, <laughs> or many of them. mean, love your neighbor. You know, give to the give to the those who are in need. Um, love each other. I just think there's it's the New Testament is the Gospels are full of Jesus. Reaching out and helping others at some cost to himself, mm-hmm. and so I really feel like if we're going to be true followers, that's something that we as as people of faith, those who follow Jesus, need to look in and say, "This is what Jesus would have done." Right. If that had, I'm convinced if that had been available, Jesus would have given a tissue or something. Mm-hmm. You know, had that been something they did back then.
0: Right. So, one last uh, concern we wanted to address: What about the afterlife and the concern of being buried
3: whole? I believe we are given a new body. When Jesus was resurrected, he was he had a he had a different body. It had some of the same parts, but his body could go through doors and be somewhere and not be somewhere. Paul talks about a new body. Revelation talks about a new heaven, a new earth, a new creation. So I believe strongly that we will not be who we will not physically be the same.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: What that look like. I do not know, but mm-hmm. that would be like, if you lost a limb, somebody, that's a problem. I don't see that as a problem. So the same whole of donation. Mm-hmm. If my heart could help somebody else, I don't need it. I'm in there. I'm not, I'm not here on this right. physical plane anymore right. and so i don't think it's i don't think we have to be whole because again i think that's god gives us a new body I'm, I'm, i believe that
0: well david thank you for sharing your insight into how faith can influence one to pass on the gift of life here we appreciate you being a part of our program
3: oh i appreciate it my pleasure
0: and thank you for watching be the gift connections like our faith and beliefs, the decision to donate is a personal one. If you haven't registered to be an organ and tissue donor, we hope you'll consider what you've heard from our guests this evening. It's really simple to sign up. Just visit bethegifttoday.com to document your decision, and don't forget to talk to your family. Remember, we all have the power to donate life. Have a good evening.